0: It's the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Hello and welcome to a solo edition of the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Josh has the COVID and thus is no longer with us. He's not dead. He's just not with us. Suffering from the brain frog. Brain frog? Hmm. Maybe I've got the COVID. Suffering from the brain fog. Try saying that three times fast with speechless fluency. Josh is unable to record this week's conspiracy theory masterpiece theatre so, because, like a proper philosopher, I just tap the side of my head there to show wisdom. Like a proper philosopher, Josh feels the need to be compus when engaging in philosophical work. He's no social psychologist, just wading into a debate without doing any background reading. No, Josh wants to be on the ball. And so it's left to me to provide some kind of filler episode, and I thought it might be fun, not necessarily fun, but it might be interesting, probably will be interesting, to pop over to InfoWars.com and see what Alex Jones is saying, because I have a hypothesis. You see, if you're spending any time online, you'll be aware that Elon Musk is in the process of taking over Twitter and turning it into a private company. Insert pause here so I can sip at my espresso. Sound effect to make sure you know what's going on. And Jones has been talking a lot recently about how he's having conversations with big, important people. And he has this rhetorical trick i'm actually not quite sure how to express it where he'll say i'm talking with you know important people i don't want to name names but they're people like tucker carlson joe rogan and elon musk and privately they support everything i'm doing now of course if that's the case and we also take it to be that elon musk is going to turn twitter into his private fiefdom then we should be seeing alex jones going oh well you know Chickens are coming home to roost. Now I'm going to get back on Twitter. So let's go over to InfoWars.com, using the power of my incredibly clicky mechanical keyboard, and find out what's happening. So, loading up InfoWars.com as we speak. Will this get through the VPN? Is the VPN even working? I should have tested this before I started recording the episode, but it is working. InfoWars.com is loading. And, okay, so, top headline: see the hilarious reason Alex Jones was banned from Twitter. Ah, and there's a poll. When will new Twitter owner Elon Musk bring Alex Jones back? Okay, so our options are this week, within 90 days, within six months, or never. I'm going to vote for never. And there are 24,316 votes, and 26% of those people who voted agree with me. Interesting enough, 27% say it's going to be this week, which indicates that they have no idea that Elon Musk has made the offer, but the offer will not be final in such time it's gone through the boards, it's gone through securities, all the vetting is done. It won't be until much later on this year. So those of you voting for this week, you have no understanding of how business transactions work. Okay, what else have we got here? Ministry of Truth, DHS forms disinformation governance board headed by Russian collusion hoaxer. We'll take a look at that one in just a second. Musk, ah, here we go. Musk condemns Twitter's Hunter Biden laptop censorship, suspending New York Post over truthful story incredibly inappropriate. Uh, Got a bit of Putinism, outbreaking. Putin threatens all-out war if NATO continues to back Ukraine. Oh, Twitter's top lawyer breaks down in tears during Musk takeover meeting. There's a lot of Musk-related reporting going on here. Roger Stone. The political cartoons that Josh had great fun trying to describe the last time we did our roundup. These are... These are not... Oh, they're really fond of their Ben Garrison. I mean, really, really fond of their... Ben Garrison. Yeah. Elon Musk Twitter Gambit and what it means for the clique in power. Anything else of particular no no it's just mostly the usual racism. There's a piece here about someone whose house was burgled by an African migrant. Case of really, really focusing on the racism, Alex. Really, really focusing on the racism. Okay, let's look at the four articles that I've just pulled up. So first one, Ministry of Truth DHS Forms Disinformation Governance Board headed by Russia Collusion Hoaxer. This is published by Jamie White. Now, back before I left with For China, coffee break, I noted that Knowledge Fight was talking about how there was a Jamie White report up on... Infowars.com, and that excited me for a minute because there was a former party leader back home in Aotearoa, New Zealand, Jamie White, a philosopher who turned right-wing libertarian think-tanky person. I think he was actually right-wing and libertarian before he joined the think-tank, truth be told. He came back to Aotearoa, New Zealand to run the ACT Party, which is our quite-white, quite-white Yes, quite white and quite right-wing political party back home. And I thought maybe that this was the same Jamie White. But our Jamie White, the Jamie White of Aotearoa New Zealand, is W-H-Y-T-E. This is Jamie White spelt as a colour White. So, actual disinformation agent to helm, government disinformation ministry of truth board, aimed at policing free speech. So basically, Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security has formed a disinformation governance board headed by a prominent Russia collusion hoaxer, according to reports. Now, of course, according to reports here is going to be according to reports, Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security has formed a disinformation governance board headed by a person. According to InfoWars reporting, it's a thoroughly debunked Russia collusion hoaxer. So let's have a look. So they're quoting from Politico, and basically Nina Jankovic is going to head this board as executive director. She was previously a fellow at the Wilson Center, advised the Ukrainian Foreign Ministry as part of the Fulbright Public Policy Fellowship, and oversaw Russia and Belarus programs at the National Democratic Institute. So she sounds like a good pick, but because she's a part-time professor at Syracuse University... She has been someone who, actually, so is, alright, so, trying to actually, had to read quite far down the report to find the bit where they're linking her to the Hillary Clinton contrived Russia collusion hoax against Donald Trump on Twitter in 2018. And basically, it's an academic who, like myself, has had questions about exactly how the investigation of the potential Russian interference in the previous U.S. presidential election actually went out. And there's a whole bunch of Republican operatives who are skeptical of her claims because they she's made claims against their beloved former leader, Donald J. Trump, and this is suddenly a rationale as to why she isn't suitable for this particular role. Now, this just seems like standard political ideology stuff. This person, who has been critical of a former leader, has been appointed by the new leader to run an, a board which is going to be looking into disinformation claims. We have previously denied that disinformation even existed, so ipso facto, we don't think this board needs to exist. And the person who believes disinformation does exist, of course, must be the wrong person to run it. Indeed, they even quote good old Marjorie Taylor Greene, which InfoWars is now very, very keen on. Yes, they're very, very keen on their QAnon candidate, even though Alex Jones has been very critical of QAnon and very angry about QAnon proponents. But once they become right-wing operatives within the governmental structure, Alex Jones will cuddle up to them to their heart's content. There's actually very little to the story. and basically, some Republican operatives don't like the fact she's been appointed. Ipso facto, she should not have been appointed. I mean, that's, admittedly, that's the standard of news we get from Fox. So I don't know why I'm I'm so dismayed it's the standard of news we get from Infowars.com. Let's move on to the exciting stuff. This is the must stuff. So, as predicted, Alex Jones is going in deep. On supporting Elon Musk taking over Twitter, indeed we've got very weird imagery going on. So we have, I suppose i meant to. Rec- oh, maybe that's Hunt. Maybe, maybe that's a picture of Hunter Biden. I actually don't know what Hunter Biden looks like. I, I'm sure I've seen pictures of Hunter Biden, and just seen yet another white man in a position of privilege. So it's a picture of. What I'm assuming is Hunter Biden looking slightly haunted and a picture of Elon Musk with glowing blue eyes. And I suppose that's meant to suggest that Elon Musk is coming after Hunter Biden. And basically, this is a report on people talking about the Hunter Biden story in the year of our Lord 2022. And Elon Musk saying suspending the Twitter account of a major news organization for publishing a truthful story was obviously incredibly inappropriate. So basically, this is looking at previous reporting on the Hunter Biden story. So back in 2020, Twitter notoriously blocked links to the New York Post exclusive reporting on the Hunter laptop, which is still one of those stories where people are litigating it to this day, making what appear to be very, very, very strong claims based upon the activities of Hunter Biden in his business dealings and then saying, oh, by the way, his father must be ultimately responsible for these dealings. Now... We can have our opinions on exactly whether Hunter Biden is a good person or a bad person. And we can have our opinions as to whether Joe Biden is a good president or a bad president. We even have opinions about the parenting relationship between Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. But it always seemed a bit of a stretch to then link Hunter Biden's activities in Ukraine with Joe Biden's advocacy. And it's a stretch for the sheer fact that this was investigated by committee at the time. There was a question as to whether there was an inappropriate relationship between Joe Biden as a foreign policy expert, uh, actually at the time vice president of the United States of America, engaging in foreign policy overseas in a nation state where his son was doing business, and the investigation seemed to quite clearly show that Joe Biden's Affairs in the Ukraine were not overlapping with Hunter Biden's affairs in the Ukraine. But of course, any sense of a scandal is the kind of thing which gets litigated in the political sphere. And it is true that maybe powerful people should ensure that their children don't get up to activities which are going to at least give the impression of embarrassing their powerful parents. So there was a New York Post story about this which talked an awful lot about Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's exploits linked to the stolen laptop from memory. And I'd have to actually go back and look at the reporting at the time. Many of the issues about the story was about the chain of custody over the laptop, because it's one thing for reporters to get information But it's another thing where they get information in ways which are clearly due to criminal activity. Now, of course, there are going to be a whole bunch of exceptions there. So if someone stole the White House recordings in the Nixon regime, that showed that Nixon had plotted the Watergate break-in. So the missing minutes, if someone had managed to steal that material and get it out there, there probably would be. A case to be made in journalistic ethics saying even though the chain of custody of the evidence is bad, the badness of that chain of custody is overwhelmed by the necessity of the public good of publishing this material. But the problem with the Hunter Biden laptop story is it doesn't seem to break that particular threshold in that no matter what we think about Hunter Biden's dad, Hunter Biden is still a private citizen. And indeed, what kind of galled people at the time this story came out was the double standard that was going on with respect to Republican politicians and people saying, oh, you can't bring up their children. You can't bring up their children. That's inappropriate. But as soon as you mention Obama's children, so when there was evidence of the daughters of Michelle and Barack Obama using drugs as "Oh." Bad parenting, bad parenting. And when it turned out that there was evidence of Hunter Biden having some incredibly interesting sexual proclivities and also dealing, well, being a bad business per- person, he said, oh, doesn't that tell us something about Joe Biden? So there was a double standard going on there as well. But yes, uh, the fact that Elon Musk still thinks... That it was inappropriate for that story to be shut down, even though the actual rationale for the story being shut down was more of a question about journalistic ethics than it was about the content of the story per se. Although there were concerns the story was being basically overhyped and extended well beyond its usefulness. The fact that Musk is still going on about this is A, grist for Alex Jones's mill, that Musk is going to come in and make Twitter a better place for people like Alex Jones, and also grist for the mill of those of us who are now moving over to Mastodon, that Twitter might get a lot worse given the kind of free speech absolutism that Elon Musk seems to be enamoured of is the kind of free speech absolutism that philosophers have been arguing against for a long time for the sheer fact that what we need is a fairly nuanced take on free speech, just for the sheer fact that absolutism does seem to have some fairly undesirable consequences, such as allowing Holocaust deniers and racists to do their thing in the public sphere without there being a kind of accountability mechanism. Indeed, this reminds me of a discussion I had, which is kind of related to this and probably explains my view better than what I just said with a journalist back home a few years ago where... I mooted that if particular opinion pieces continued to be published by one of our major newspapers back home, I would be less inclined to buy the newspaper. I was going, look these newspapers publish material that I find abhorrent and do not enjoy. I don't like the idea that my money is going towards funding the publication of these opinion pieces since these opinion piece writers are being paid to produce these columns. So I feel that as an individual, one action I can take is to show my disgruntlement by no longer purchasing the newspaper in question. And one of the journalists at this newspaper was going, oh, but you you can't do that. I mean, what about all the good journalism that occurs there? And I was going, well, yeah, I, I recognize there's good journalism occurring in the newspaper, but I cannot bring myself to financially support that at the cost of also supporting the abhorrent opinion piece pieces that are occurring in the paper. And essentially his argument was, I'm obliged to buy newspapers. And I was going... No, no, that's not how the free speech thing works. He's going, but people should be free to express their opinions. And I was going, yeah, and I should be free to be able to express my dissatisfaction against those opinions. And it seems that Musk's approach towards free speech absolutism is that people should be allowed to say whatever they like without consequence. And that's the worry with this particular species, of free speech absolutism. It's a form of free speech which says people should be allowed to speak, but somehow also elides the idea that people should be allowed to speak against that speech, because apparently anything which is seen to go, well, maybe you shouldn't say that, is taken to be censorious, as opposed to people using their free speech to counter speech they don't like. And this is the worry about Musk and co is that they want people to be able to speak, but they don't want people to be able to then express criticism of that speech because that criticism is taken as being, well, you're against free speech if you criticize what I say, which is why we need a more nuanced take on free speech in public discourse, which kind of matches the discussion that's going been going on about free speech in the academic discourse, particularly in philosophy for quite some time now i mean go back and look at the work of karl popper who of course wrote on the conspiracy theory of society he also talked about the idea that there's a certain degree of intolerance we should have towards bad speech because tolerating all speech actually leads to very perverse outcomes this is the paradox of tolerance tolerance. But we're kind of getting off the topic of Alex Jones here, although we are on the topic of Elon Musk. So yes, Elon Musk is still skeptical that it was inappropriate to wait and see about the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. Alright, well that's one story. Let's see what else we have here. Twitter's top lawyer breaks down in tears during Musk takeover meeting. So... This is basically Twitter's top lawyer reportedly broke down in tears during a virtual meeting with the company's policy and legal teams to discuss the ramification of Elon Musk's purchase of the social media platform. My espresso will have gone cold now. I'll just finish it off. Yeah, that was cold. So... Apparently, she cried as she expressed concerns about how the company could change and acknowledged there was a significant uncertainties about what the company will look like under Musk's leadership. This, So basically, they say, oh, it's a woman. She was emotional. How dare she be a lawyer for Twitter? But I mean, if you look at the way that Musk has has run other companies... So you look at the racism scandal that's currently going on with Tesla, where Musk has been shown to have said to people, you just basically have to tolerate the fact that people are going to be racist towards you in our workplace. And you look at the way in which Musk ran SpaceX during the pandemic, requiring people come to work at the height of the pandemic, when there were stay-at-home orders going on if you look at the way that Musk deals with individuals who criticize him. So for someone who's a free speech absolutist, he is someone who's really called for people on Twitter to have their views shut down whenever they criticize him. Or he'll just call people pedophiles because apparently that's a South African thing that only people like Musk know about. I can understand how... People in senior positions at Twitter are going, this does not seem like a good move for the company, given we know what the work culture in Musk's other companies look like. So the new story here is, oh, woman is hysterical. But really it's more of a case of lawyer reacts to, if this person's going to be our CEO, we know what his companies look like We don't want our company to look like that in two to three years' time. And indeed, there are some stories going around, and I don't know whether these have been verified. They were being talked about on Twitter a day or so ago about how there are people openly celebrating the idea that transphobia is something that can come back to Twitter in a big way. So there are legitimate concerns about what might happen to the platform, and what might happen to the workplace that platform is produced on. Which is one of the reasons why I've resurrected my Mastodon account. So I might just slowly move away from using Twitter, and do most of my tooting, not tweeting, over at scholar.social. Although I'm having a problem migrating my account, I think I may have broken their system inadvertently, although I don't know how. And it's very hard to get IT support for Mastodon instances. But we'll see what's going on. All right, our final story is Elon Musk's Twitter Gambit and what it means to the clique in power. Oh, this is a Mises.org article which has been re-syndicated to Infowars.com which means it will be very libertarian but it's probably also the slightly higher standard of writing. In an InfoWars article written by people at InfoWars itself. So the reason Elon Musk take over Twitter has the usual suspects in, fr- in a frenzy, and contrary to what progressives may claim, Twitter has not been the town hall for democracy, but rather an enforcer for wokeness, political fealty, and obedience to official state dictates and narratives. So basically what the Mises Institute wants is for it to be that For the Republican, because I imagine they'll want it to be an enforcer for anti-wokeness, political fealty to the president who's Republican, and obedience to official state dictates and narratives as put forward by the Republican Party. And we have yet another picture of Elon Musk, who looks like he's orgasming. In a suit. I imagine he does that all the time. So Elon Musk's bid to take over Twitter and turn it into a private company has apparently been successful. So at least this article recognises that. It's still possible it won't go through. I mean, it seems very likely it will, but there are some checks that have to go on before it will get approved. And it is possible things could change in the interim. Indeed, the people who ruined Tumblr, i.e. made Tumblr very, very unprofitable, are talking about how they can make Twitter unprofitable or at least more unprofitable, Twitter's yet to turn a profit, make it even more unprofitable before Musk even gets to own it properly. So basically give him a poison pill. Although arguably Twitter has been a poison pill for quite some time. I love Twitter and I also think it's truly, truly despicable. It's a love-hate relationship. So yeah, this is just a basic libertarian take on what it means for Twitter with the idea that it's been very, very woke and ipso facto must be in control of it will rein that wokeness back. I have to say, as someone who would be described as being woke by the Mises Institute, and indeed I would probably self-describe myself as being very, very woke as a genderqueer person, I don't see Twitter as being a particularly liberal paradise in that I see transphobia and racism on the platform all the time. And I see it being a platform where the rich and the powerful do not get treated the same way as the hoi polloi in that it seems the rich and the powerful get to say whatever they like on Twitter and at no point get sanctioned. But you attack one transphobe with just a mild ribbing and you'll get 24 to 48 hours of timeout. So if you're big and powerful, go ahead with your transphobia, says Twitter. But if you've got a small following, it turns out you mock one transphobe and it's, it's timeout for one or two days. So... This probably speaks to one of the partisan divides we have in our society in that on the woke side, people see Twitter as being actually pretty much a hellscape. And on the reactionary side, people seem to view Twitter as a hellscape as well because they're not allowed to say whatever they like. And that's often because the people who are concerned about The consequences of saying whatever they like are not the rich and the powerful. And so the disgruntled sides on both sides of the extremist aisle both see Twitter as being very bad, which allows people like the Mises Institute to then play on the perception of what Twitter is like as opposed to possibly the reality. And there's quite a lot of study in, well various ac- academic disciplines so communication studies rhetoric sociology and the like about the actual landscape of twitter itself and it turns out that both the and i'm going to use terms here the extreme woke side and the extreme reactionary side have a view of twitter which doesn't really resemble what it looks like to an ordinary user but at the same time they can launder those perceptions to then create outrage and further disgruntlement. So yeah, this is a basic article here about how it might be great that Musk's commitment to free speech uh, has raised the hackles of the establishment gatekeepers, who ironically figure free speech as a threat to democracy. I think you'll find the establishment gatekeepers here, which is a pejorative term, uh Concerned about the free speech absolutist, as I talked beforehand, as opposed to free speech itself. But that's that's the kind of slo- sloddy? Oh, sh- oh, I would go slippery and shoddy, so I went for sloddy. The kind of sloddy thinking we kind of associate with libertarians. I I do wonder, do any libertarians listen to this podcast, given that Josh and I make fun of libertarians all the time i mean it's possible you do do you i don't know maybe we should spend more time trash talking libertarians there's actually some very interesting stuff about the libertarian defash pipeline so there's the wellness defash pipeline which has been talked about a lot where. People who are into alternative, alternative medicine and other alternative modalities have been very quickly captured by certain anti-vax, anti-government organizations. So, as we've seen in the pandemic, yoga teachers attending protests where there are nooses and anti-Semitic slogans being shouted continuously. But there's also a fairly good pipeline evidentially of libertarians becoming fascist reactionaries and that i mean the greatest example appears to be adrian Vermuil, who we've talked about on this podcast in the past with respect to the paper that he co-authored with Cass sunstein he identifies as a libertarian he now thinks that democracy is a bad idea because democracy basically allows people with ideas that are contrary to adrian vermil's libertarian views to occasionally have power and he considers that to be a consequence which is too extreme for a society and thus feels that we should get rid of democracy which is a case so yeah that's your libertarian ideals have basically convinced you that voting is bad and that we should have fascist dictators and i'm sure that's going to work out really really well for everyone so we get an attack on human rights groups We get an attack on... So here, the New York Times is being attacked. So previously, the article was going, the New York Post is great, and now we've got the New York Times, though. Now, that's a trashy magazine. And relentless smears on Musk. I mean, I don't think you need to smear Musk. I think you just need to report what Musk does. It is kind of interesting... I remember, and I'm fairly sure I've talked about this on the podcast before, 10 years ago, I I wouldn't say I would have been a Musk fan, but I was going, oh, you know, Tesla's great. He's talking about bringing in better solar power for houses. He's doing some really interesting stuff in the space race. Musk seems like he might be advocating technologies that, could be beneficial to humankind going forward. And then he became a public figure. So he went from being a business person operating background to being a public figure who opined on things, and it turns out that his opinions were terrible. I mean, there's another similar example in the gaming community. So Marcus Notch, who came up with Minecraft, when Notch was only talking about games, so, Minecraft, and then the successor game he was trying to make and then gave up upon, which was going to be a, a space sim. You fly from one planet to another, and you might have to reprogram your computer if things break down on board. It looked actually fairly interesting. Once he stopped being a programmer per se, and started being, I'm rich, I'm just going to talk about things, people went, oh, we quite liked you when you didn't express opinions But now we've discovered that you might be clever when it comes to programming, which is the Notch thing, or clever when it comes to buying out companies, which is the Musk thing, since we have to remind ourselves that Musk didn't actually create the companies that he owns, he bought into them or took them over, as he's doing with Twitter now. It turns out you might be clever in this thing, but politically and socially, I think you're a bit of an asshole. So you don't really need to smear Musk. You just need to report things that Musk says and they kind of stand on their own. I mean this is the man who when people said we don't think your submarine is going to be able to get those people out of the cave went, Oh well you're you you're just a pedo guy. Just a pedo guy. Yes yeah, so, of yeah, that's that's not a good reaction to people having legitimate concerns. About how your very large submarine is not going to be able to go through a small underwater channel in a cave, so oh, and then the article just ends, so basically, human rights groups and media organizations have been smearing Musk by simply reporting what they say, and basically they're they're wrong-headed. Is there anything to this? Oh, having said it'll be a better written piece than a standard InfoWars piece, I have to say this is. This is not great at all. I end with Twitter is operated as a political state apparatus, a propaganda, censorship, and disinformation agent for the state. The state defined by Henry Hazlitt as the clique in power. So, one thing we can. Dispute that definition that the state is the clique in power. I mean, often the state is the clique in power, but actually, given the role that corporations play in the US and in a lot of Western nations now, you actually have the state being separate from the clique in power, with the clique in power having influence over the state, but the state being the democratically voted for apparatus and the civil service that goes with it. So, that's a side a side note there, but Twitter is operated as a political state apparatus. I mean, it's it's a public company. Don't think it's controlled by the government, except of course by using their schloddy. I'm going to use that term again. Definition: They're going. Oh, but we don't have to say it's controlled by the government. If we say the state is the clique in power, then the rich liberal elites who are said to run twitter though i should point out that jack dorsey is a libertarian so i wouldn't say he's a liberal elite with that kind of capital l liberalism oh that, that makes it a state apparatus there but note they said political state apparatus now political state and the state are going to be slightly different ideas even under this definition of clique and power but I'm talking probably too much as a philosopher here for what is a simple sentence in what is an article designed as rhetoric to basically get other libertarians to go, Yes, Musk will take control. Everything will be better under Musk. Anyway, it just ends with allowing one of these major assets to fall into the wrong hands, they've put wrong there in scare quotes, and jeopardizes those functions, that's the political state apparatus, and casts new doubt on the regime that's the Clinton powers, ability to squash dissent and control the population. I mean, Twitter's big. I mean, Facebook doesn't quite have the reach it used to. But Twitter's still only used by a very small fraction of the world. So I don't know how well social media works to control the population. Indeed, when the Musk News came out, I was thinking about all the philosophers I know who aren't on Twitter, which is a lot of them. Indeed, if you look at the philosophers who write on conspiracy theory, there's Pat Stokes, myself, Neil Levy. So, David Cody doesn't have a Twitter account. Lee Basham doesn't have a Twitter account. Charles Pigden doesn't have a Twitter account. Brian L. Keeley doesn't have a Twitter account. Although if these people do have Twitter accounts. They're doing little Twitter stuff. So are probably talking about their perversions behind the scenes with their close friends, which is a perfectly legitimate use of Twitter. But I'm talking about public accounts here and also potentially smearing the good name of friends there. I've got no problem with sexual perversion. You do what you do. I do what I do. Kinks for everyone, I say. Kinks, kinks, kinks. And listen to the kinks. Some good music there. But most of the philosophers I know in the field of conspiracy theory theory aren't using Twitter. And actually, it's quite interesting. I don't know that many of the new generation of conspiracy theory... So Keith Harris, he has a Twitter account. I don't know that many of the other people who are the new... Oh, Matt Shields also has a Twitter account. But most of the old guard don't. I actually don't even think most of the new guard do. Maybe they'll take Macedon accounts up. So, yeah, I'm just I mean in one respect, as someone who uses Twitter a lot, I'm dismayed by the fact it could get a lot worse under Musk. At the same time, the people I'm mentioning who don't seem to have Twitter accounts, their lives do not seem any worse for the lack of Twitter. In fact, in some respects I think their lives might be slightly better. Because Twitter's a it's an attention grabbing procrastination tool that I waste too much time on. Basically, this has turned out to be a discussion of me and Twitter, using Alex Jones as a as a, a proxy to get me to Elon Musk to then go, maybe I should just give up on social media entirely. Hmm. 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 There's only one thing to say to that. Durango! You've been listening to Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Addison and Indented. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com.